Resistance is futile. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technical distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service to us. Resistance is futile. Comes from a great holy series. No, just joking. You know, most of you know that comes from Star Trek, The Next Generation. Second season, Q Who, the episode. Resistance is futile. We will take you over. You will serve us. You will become like us. That is the message that the world proclaims to the church. You will die. It will all go away. You will be like us. We will conquer you. But in reality, Jesus flips that on his head. He will not be conquered. His church will not be assimilated. His church will not give itself over to the ways of the world. But His gospel will go to the ends of the earth and He will have a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language that were given to the Son before the foundation of the world. The Son come to accomplish and the Spirit applies that redemption. God and His gospel are on the march and there's nothing the world can do about it. But when the gospel is going into a place and pushing back the darkness and having a great impact, many times what you see is resistance, response, protest, false accusation. I mean, you name it. The world tries. Darkness tries to put out the light. But it cannot. And see, we see that in our text today. As we look into the riot in Ephesus, what is happening is the gospel is having great success. And it is making people nervous. Especially these craftsmen who get their wealth from crafting little statues and little replicas of temples. So that the people can buy them and offer them as offerings and keep them and wear them as necklaces and bracelets and bow down to You get it. Today we see a futile protest against the gospel in Ephesus. And I just entitled it Protesting the Gospel. Because that's what's really going on here. This is a protest against the gospel. And the encouragement for us that comes from this many times humorous story is the main point I want you to think about, take away, that we should persist in witness for Christ in spite of the world's protest and resistance, knowing that the world, that the darkness, that the evil one can never stop the gospel. But first, look at gospel transformation. And it's interesting that almost, almost everything that Demetrius says is true. You know, we'll talk more about what was in verses 21 and 23 as we move on. We'll see that played out. But I'm really picking up in verse 23 this morning. And it says this. About this, and I'll read it again. Repetition is good for teaching, right? I'll read this again. About that time there arose no little disturbance. What does that mean? There was a big disturbance. Interesting way to say it. About the way. And we've said before that the way is simply what they called Christianity at that time. 
followers of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No person comes to the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. So they were called the way. And there's a huge disturbance rising up over the way. And it's, the reason is idol sales are down. <laughs> the gospel is progressing and idol sales are tanking. And the craftsmen are freaking out. And they want it to be stopped. Look what it says. It says, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. So he's sounding the alarm here. He said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And it's interesting that when the gospel starts touching the pocketbooks, how protests and howls can start. I mean, he does that in our own life as God sanctifies us and calls on us to give and things. But especially in the, in the world, when the gospel starts hitting the bottom line, then we have a problem and we must solve it. But it's interesting. Notice what Demetrius is saying. Everything he's saying is true. And they should be freaking out if they're going to try to stick to that because that business is dying right in front of them. Why? Why? Look at verse 26. And you see and hear that not only here in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. And it's interesting how I say This Paul. This Paul has persuaded and turned a great many people. Turned away a great many people. Turned away from what? Turned away from idol worship. And really it's not Paul turning people away from idol worship. It's God through the gospel. But they don't know that. It says Paul has turned away a great many people saying, now watch this, that gods made with hands are not gods. Ding, ding, ding. Right, Demetrius. It's true. Get it. We can't fashion God. He is the creator, not us. Anything we make trying to fashion an image of God is nothing but a worthless idol. And there is danger. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. She may be deposed from her magnificence, whom all of Asia and the world worship. Notice, this is probably the major competitor for the gospel in that time. This is the big dog in the area. This is the big religion, right? This is the one that sort of rules the culture. And yet it's being shaken by this one little man with this one little message. Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Who is this Artemis? Well, Greek name, Roman name, Diana. It's, it's the major goddess of Ephesus. She's a goddess of fertility. She's a mistress of wild beasts. A daughter of Zeus and Leto, sister of Apollo. She's a virgin who helped women in childbirth, supposedly. A huntress, you'll see pictures with a bow and arrow. And a goddess of death. Her worship was big business in Ephesus. She, you, so far, I think we know of like 33 other shrines around there. But the, the most in their eyes, magnificent one, the biggest one, the most grand shrine or temple to Artemis was there in Ephesus. That was the major temple. And her temple 
was four times bigger than the Parthenon. If you remember when we were talking about being in Athens and there was nowhere you could be in Athens without being able to look up and see the Parthenon. This thing is four times bigger. It's some 425 by 225 feet. And you say, kind of big, don't know how to relate to that. Think of a football field. Some of us watch football, right? Think of a football field, not just where they play, but the surrounding area in the football field. That's how big this temple was. That's huge. That's huge. Right? It's a football field plus the surroundings. Um, look, I have a picture for you. Sometimes these things are hard to picture. So on a tour through there, I took a picture one day. And Ian is looking for it. No, this is a representation and this is probably not nearly or as ornate as it was, but this thing was massive and elevated. And, you know, if you think about it, if you've ever sat in the stands of a football game, it's, that's a big field. And think about this place being that big and surrounded with these, these rows of columns with the inner, inner chamber where they would have the big idol Artemis in the middle and go in and worship. Those columns are six stories high. Just the columns. Right? And then add the height of the building. So you see what a massive, massive place. This was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the most ornate of the seven. It was the largest building in the Greek world. And it was where the cult of Artemis or Diana was centered. And it's one of the most widely followed in the Greek Greco-Roman world. And there was even a week-long festival dedicated to Artemis. And the silversmiths, what they would do, they would make little replicas of the temple and they would make little idols of Artemis. It's kind of a really weird, freaky looking thing. I'll, you, I mean, I'll let you go to that if you're interested. False god, idol, not really that interested in, in that. But um, they made these replicas of the goddess and of her shrine and sold them to the worshipers. And people came from all over Asia to Ephesus to take part in this. So you can imagine, I mean, they said they got their wealth. They, they were getting, they were wealthy from this. So it was a big deal in Ephesus and it was a big deal. And this was a huge, if you want to call it religion, false religion that dominated the area of Ephesus. And this one guy comes in with this little message and preaches and teaches and shares and other people share and the gospel is just pushing back this darkness and people are trashing their idols and they're not buying the statues and the replicas anymore. And it's increasing. And so these guys are afraid and their point is somebody has to do something about this. But idol worship is in decline because the gospel is going forth. See, this happened in Thessalonica. I'll read for you from 1 Thessalonians 8-10. to As Paul is talking about the gospel coming to Thessalonica and what it did. Look in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-10. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth for, from you, from the believers, like after they come to faith, 
from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith has gone out, gone forth everywhere so that we really don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And watch this. How you turn to God from idols. See the repentance? They turn and trust in Jesus. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Everything you're looking for when you're thinking rightly is found not in false gods, but in the true God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming to Him, He giving you salvation as a free gift. Reconciliation with God. Made right with God. Forgiven all of your sins. Clothed in His righteousness. Made a child of God as a free gift through faith. Why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't just come and die. He fulfilled God's law. In thought, word, and deed. He kept it providing a perfect righteousness for His people. Right standing with God. And then He died to pay the penalty for our sins. He satisfied justice. Scripture says the soul that sins shall die. And that's, a, that's not just physical death. It is spiritual death and separation from God for an eternity. Hell, if you want to use that terminology. But Jesus being God and man could die on that cross and as horrible as that physical suffering was, He could take the wrath of God do our sin upon Himself and drank that cup dry. No wonder He sweat blood the night before. It's a real literal medical condition. And before He gave up His Spirit, He said on that cross, it is finished. That word means paid in full. No debt left. Nothing to pay back. If you trust in Jesus, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, which means you're trusting in Him for your salvation, there's nothing left for you to pay because it's all been paid by Him and He gives Himself to you as a free gift. He is salvation. Right? And then He begins, the Spirit begins transforming us into His image as we grow in grace. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer earlier said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Most famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, or really, literally, God loved the world. This is how, this is the manner. This is how God loved the world. He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, literally believes into Him, shall not perish, shall not pay for their own sins, but shall have eternal life. If you want eternal life, it will be through trusting in Jesus. And multitudes here are trusting in Jesus. Not only in Thessalonica, but in Ephesus. And when Jesus comes in, idols go out. So their business is hurting. And his fears. Demetrius' fears are well founded. He feared that the trade would go away. Well, you know, the idol trade never really goes away. But that trade in Ephesus of that God was, was being routed by the gospel. He feared that Artemis might be counted as nothing. That she might be deposed from her magnificence. That temple's not there anymore. When's the last time you ran into a Diana worshiper? Have you ever met one? Because the gospel took over. And it is no more. So Demetrius' fears were well-founded. 
about what was going to happen to his beloved goddess and his beloved cash coming from goddess. Artemis was maybe his god, I don't know, but what she really was was a cash cow for him. You start touching people's cash cows, they will respond not nicely. So what he feared actually has come true. But look at this. They are fearing, they're meeting, they're saying something has to be done. And as he was speaking to the people, evidently others are gathering and the gospel is protested. Second point, gospel protest in Ephesus. First one was gospel transformation in Ephesus. I didn't give that to you. But look at this. The city becomes filled with order and... no. <laughs> Confusion. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater. Now, lest you think this was just a few people, this theater that they rushed into, I have a picture of that, just kind of, sometimes it helps us. It was cut out of the side of the hill. And as many as 25,000 people would fit into that theater and listen it's actually there you could go there and see it today Luke is a historian of the first rank it's been said and he's telling us what actually happened and maybe that picture connects it to history for you I don't know but imagine that theater filled with people 25,000, 24,000 people shouting together. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And people are filtering in and there's a ton of confusion. And a lot of the people who are there don't even know why they're there. It's like, oh wow, impromptu worship service. Here we go. They're crying that out together. Have you ever been in a large crowd? Have you ever been to a, like a, a big conference or a big setting where a lot of people are singing God's praise? It's impressive. It's amazing, really. Well, these people are singing a false god's praise. But same thing. A lot of them just drowning everything out. Paul wanted to go in. I won't go through all that. But they said no. Paul's always willing to go and make a defense. But they're in wisdom saying, you know, they're going to rip you apart if they do. The Asiarchs are simply, you know, chief city officials who are friends of him and encouraging him not to go. But look at verse 32. Uh, now, some cried out one thing and some another for the assembly was in confusion. And I love this, just mob mentality. Most of them did not know why they had come together. Why are you here? No. Saw a big crowd. Like big crowds. By the way, I don't like big crowds, but... <clears throat> And it said some of the, they prompted Alexander, but they don't even let him speak. In verse 34, they recognized he was a Jew. And for, now, now imagine this, for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Just echoing through the city to the extent that it gets city halls noticed. And what is be a, sort of the equivalent of our mayor, a mayor of a town. This guy comes out, sort of the chief official of the town. And it says, the town clerk had quieted the crowd. He said, men of Ephesus, where, who, do, who, now watch this. Who is there, this is verse 35. Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? The temple's right there, right? And uh, Now this is interesting. And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. 
Probably a meteorite. A chunk of rock come, but see, they see that as coming from Zeus. And so they put their own spin on it and probably put that in the temple too. This rock fell on Bubba's head confirming that Artemis is true. I don't know. But just superstition. And he says, seeing that these things cannot be denied, you ought to do nothing rash. No, the city official is protecting by God's common grace at work in him. He doesn't know that he's doing this, but he's protecting Paul and the Christians and he's in, in some sense protecting the gospel. He says, you've brought these men. They're neither sacrilegious or blasphemers. Notice it's interesting that Paul and them didn't walk around Ephesus with signs talking about how wicked Artemis was. They weren't conducting major protests. They were sharing the gospel and teaching Christ and proclaiming Christ. And the gospel was radically transforming the city. I'm not saying there's never a need to protest a place or anything like that. A lot of good work is done outside abortion centers. But they're keeping the main thing the main thing which is the gospel and he says if you seek anything further the courts are open uh, you can come and deal with this rightly and he dismisses the crowd so you have these guys concerned they're losing sales of their idols they're concerned about their goddess in the temple it it degenerates into this mass confusion and crying and screaming out great is artemis of the Ephesians for two hours until the city official quells it. And Paul is preparing to leave before this happens. Why? Because the work is done there pretty much and the church is thriving there and the gospel has infiltrated the area and there's plenty in place to keep that going as he moves back on through to another locale. But the gospel is successful in the face of the world's resistance. The gospel has gone into... Imagine the darkness of this city. If we're looking at things with human eyes and this idol-dominated city and, and we're just, you know, one little group of people who are going to take this little message. If, we don't, if we're not careful, if we're not looking through the, uh, who God is and, the, and who Christ is, we might be tempted to think, what can we do among so many? But this little band went in there with the gospel and it has rocked and changed the whole city. So just a few points of application as we sort of wind up. But when the gospel, first one is when the gospel is proclaimed. Now listen to me. When the gospel is proclaimed, you, have, you always have two results. Some like it and some don't. Always. You have to get over that. See, we like the first result when people like it. But if we're not careful, we see the second result is failure. When people resist it. And it's just confirmation. Is God not sovereign? Yes, He is. Is there a maverick molecule in the universe? No, there's not. R.C. Sproul. Is He in control? Yes. Then why all this trouble? Couldn't God have prevented this? Yes, He could. But He didn't. He allowed it and used it for good. Listen, here's a, something to take away with you. You grow best under pressure. The church always go, grows best under pressure. 
We have a much harder time dealing with prosperity than we do persecution. See, none of, some of us had never experienced, a lot of us, most of us, I've never, we've never ex really experienced persecution to the depth that the, the church has. But the church grows best when there's resistance and stress and need which pushes us into dependence on God and prayer. And He works through that to accomplish His purpose. The gospel will produce two results. Acceptance and resistance. Seed planted. Silence sometimes. And silence on the other. But it's always two results. And we have to be as good with one as the other. And leave it to God. Because we're successful when we share. We share. We pray. We're, we're successful. Saving is God's work. He takes the gospel then. And does His work. And brings sinners to life. And faith. And repentance. And growth. Secondly. With gospel success comes gospel protest in various forms. This would have never happened if the, if the gospel had reached 15 or 20 people in Ephesus. They would have not have felt threatened. But with great gospel success comes great worldly protest. Hardship arises when the church, listen to me church, hardship arises when the church is being effective. I'm trying to encourage you this morning. Resistance comes at us when we're being effective. When success is large, the prevailing culture feels threatened and the protest is large. Serious resistance, serious rejection, serious protest and persecution is a sign of gospel success. I mean, even in the early church, the persecutions that rise against the church are because the church is having a magnificent effect on the culture. With the gospel. And people even in Caesar's household. Are coming to faith. Don't see resistance as a problem. As a bad thing. As something that shouldn't happen. When you see it. It's a sign of gospel success. And Jesus tells us how to respond to it. He says rejoice. So listen. Set, our, set your expectation. Expect persecution. And rejoice when it comes, if it comes because you are being faithful to Jesus. Now if you're just being a jerk, you get no reward for that. But if it comes because you're being faithful to Jesus, and, and let me flip that, if you're being faithful to Jesus, it will come in some form. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be comfortable. That's not what it says. Will suffer persecution. And that has multi- Faceted forms. Some of it's just people going, you're crazy. Yep. For Jesus. Those who do not wish to be transformed will often react with hostility to evidence of a lifestyle that challenges their own. Those who do not wish to be transformed will often react with hostility to evidence of a lifestyle that challenges their own. But if my lifestyle is Jesus and my, my lifestyle is loving, compassionate, gentle, humble, but faithful, gospel, life and presentation, and that brings resistance. Look what Jesus said do. Luke 6, 22-23. Blessed are you. We have to transform the way we think. Blessed are you when people hate you. You ever write that on your refrigerator? 
Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Notice it's on account of Jesus. Look how he says to rejoice. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets, the true prophets. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, the true prophets were not a loved people. It's the false prophets who were always peace, peace, prosperity. Who were the ones who were loved. But Jesus said, if you are persecuted for my sake, rejoice and leap for joy because the Spirit is at work in you and Christ is being, the fragrance of Christ is being diffused through you and people are resisting that because the Spirit's at work in you so you can rejoice. So if you do experience resistance for living for and speaking for Jesus, I mean, Acts 4, pray about the threat. The church in Acts 4 were arrested, were threatened. What they did was meet and pray, and then they continued to speak the word with boldness. I'll let you go read Acts 4. We've been over that before. A big hullabaloo is raised up in Ephesus because the gospel is, is doing its work. Darkness is being cast out. And that will happen in our lives. And it's okay. It's a reason for rejoicing if it's because we're loving and living for Jesus and speaking for Him. But listen, this is sort of related, but I want to point it out while we're here. The, the fourth thing I want to mention, listen, listen to me. Don't expect the Christian life to be easy. There are enough hucksters on TV that will tell you if you'll send them money, it will be. It's a lie. Save your money. Invest it better. Don't expect the Christian life to be easy. And don't expect witnessing to be easy. But listen to me. Look at me. This is, this is true. We will never be effective in, in, in this life for Christ if we expect it to be easy, comfortable, and convenient. We will never be effective if we expect it to be easy, comfortable, and convenient. And Kevin's sitting back there saying, you're trying to weed out the crowd again. I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? A couple of other things to know. This might set you free a little bit. I really am trying to encourage you. I challenge you a little bit, but overall I'm trying to encourage you. Here's a couple of things to know as I end. Making disciples is God's work through you. You're an instrument in His hand. If you guys are carpenters, you know a hammer drives a nail, but it doesn't really. You drive the nail with the hammer. God has promised to be in you and through you and with you and empower you and shape you to be instruments in His hand. It's His Spirit. It's His Gospel. It's His world. And in one sense, you can relax. We're successful when we share it. But you are an instrument in the hand of the Almighty God. Prepare to witness? Yes. Worry about it? No. Seek to be light and salt. It's His work. He will use you. And then the second thing I want to encourage you with in, in wrapping up, Jesus is King and He wins. Very simply, Jesus is King and He wins. If you want to oppose Him, fine. It won't be fine. Diana proves that. Where is she? Rubble. 
Jesus is king and his, he wins. His gospel will go to the ends of the earth. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be Jesus. And you know what the Bible promises? That the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. Jesus is king and he wins. There are no more Diana shrines being, except for souvenir trinkets over there. That the gospel routed its largest competitor in Asia, and it will route its largest competitor in Swansboro if we're faithful with it. And listen to me, it will do so with Islam, with Hinduism, with Buddhism, with atheism, with every other ism that stands in opposition to Jesus. Someday, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So do so today. If you're not trusting in Jesus today, hear God's command to you on the basis of sacrificing His Son. Turn and trust in His Son and receive the free gift of salvation. If we are trusting in Jesus, we need this mind-shaping message because I'm telling you, unless a revival comes to God's church, this culture is going to increasingly challenge your faith in Jesus. What's happening in China will come here. And they will bulldoze churches here and imprison Christians here. We need to be faithful with His Gospel because revival in His church will spur that. So pray for revival. But see, no, Jesus is King. He wins. Someday all the... See, think about this. 24,000 people crying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That would be pretty impressive, wouldn't it, if you were there hearing it. Imagine the entire world crying worthy is the lamb it's going to happen look at revelation 5 9 to 13 this is the worship pictured there in revelation and it says this in verse 9 they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain you are lord of history you were slain and your, by your blood, watch this, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, that's new heaven and new earth. I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels number myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now imagine that. It's, it, angels and everybody saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to redeem us to Himself who sits on the throne reigning to see His Gospel go to the end of the earth and bring every one of His children to Himself. It's all for God's glory. We have a part to play. Hallelujah. But it's all for our joy. If you're a believer, you won't find true joy anywhere else other than Jesus. If you're an unbeliever, you won't find true joy anywhere else other than in Jesus. We'll have circumstance-driven happiness sometimes, right? Even in sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is death. It's all for His glory. 
And listen, imagine this. And listen, I'm not saying this is not happening. We are having baptisms coming up. People are being saved and grown in grace. But imagine the abundance of joy here when we see more new baby Christians in the church and more people discipling them because we've been out there with the gospel sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and He's been faithful to His Word and is bringing in His church. Imagine the joy. When people from our town, our county, our state are being changed through our witness to the praise of His glorious name. Worthy is the Lamb. So it is true. Resistance is futile. Resistance to Jesus is futile. That is the church's message to the world. Every enemy Represented by Artemis here. Every enemy of the gospel will be defeated. And the gospel will go into all the world and save all of his church. And we have a part in that mission. So persist in being a witness for Christ in spite of the world's protests and resistance. Knowing that the world can never stop the gospel. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, give us confidence in You. Give us joy in You. May You be our delight. May You take away the fears and insecurities that we have that stand in our way so that we love You. Not a legalistic love. Not a legalistic effort that seeks to to make us acceptable to You. But a rejoicing love that rejoices in the fact that though we are more sinful and flawed, than we ever dared believe. We are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope in Jesus. When we see the glory of our sins washed away in Your blood, of our righteous standing with God being Your righteousness, the fact that the same power that's raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, and that the gospel that we have is the power of God for the salvation of the world, the everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. It'll give us joy and confidence to share it with our spouse, to share it with our children, to share it with our neighbor and our co-worker. Share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging one another with the gospel. Lord, we are a gospel people, and you are at work, and we thank you for that. But we pray that we would be more and more a gospel people with confidence, knowing that just exactly what happened in Ephesians and to Artemis will happen to every false god. And that you, through the proclamation of your gospel, will have your church. You will have your new heavens and new earth. And by your grace, we will be there with you. So we praise you. Lord, bring any soul who's listening, is not trusting in Jesus, bring them to faith in Christ. We would pray very soon. Plant seeds of the gospel. Grow us in grace. Help us to go out of these doors with worthy as the lamb on our hearts. And confidence in you. Excite us, renew us, revive us, refresh us in loving and living for you. We thank you for the testimony of the power of the gospel we see in the book of Acts. We thank you for the testimony of the power of the gospel we see around us in our brothers and sisters in Christ. May it produce confidence in us, a confidence that speaks with love, but speaks with faithfulness of your gospel. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.